Amen. Well, surprise, I'm still here. So, well, this morning I get the opportunity to come and uh, share a message with you guys this morning. Pastor is, is taking a little vacation, so we wish him the best um, while he's on vacation, that he has a blessed time and get a little relaxing in or something. So, all right. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Did anybody enjoy your Thanksgiving? I know I did. Ate entirely too much. I was f- so full Thanksgiving night that, uh, that I-, I was miserable. But that's okay. For me, that's what Thanksgiving's about, being miserable, right? No, it was good. So if you would, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. Um, and we're going to go through verses 1 through 15. Um, I've tided, titled uh, this message this morning, Obstacles. Has anybody in here ever gone through an obstacle course? Some sort of obstacle course. Okay, like me, I think obstacle course, one of my favorite things growing up was the Royal Ranger, Royal Ranger Bike Rodeos. Has anybody ever been to a Royal Ranger bike rodeo? Come on, Daryl. You have never been to one. Okay. They were my favorite thing growing up. You know, I would shine my bike. I'd get it all clean, you know, get that chain just perfectly oiled, not a speck of rust on it because it had to be the fastest, had to be the best. Anyway, you get to these events and, and it's pretty much a whole day of going through obstacles on your bicycle, um, anywhere from races through it to, you know, going across a two by four anything like that. So obstacles. So today we're going to be talking about obstacles. So this is 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. It's a little lengthy here, but I've asked that you just stay with me. Okay, it says, the king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord has given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, the Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among the captives was a young girl who had been in Naaman's wife, had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go and see the the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying a gift of 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone of leprosy? I can see he is just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. 
Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over me in the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and Fairpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned away and went away in rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had only told you to do something very difficult, would you have done it? So should you certainly obey him when he, said, when he says simply, Go, wash, and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Let's pray this morning. Father, I just thank you. For this opportunity, Lord, just to come and share this message that I believe you've put on my heart, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just anoint me, Father, that I would be able to bring what he wants, Father. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, open our ears, Father, Lord, that we'd be able to get out of this everything that you have for us today. We just welcome your Holy Spirit in this place. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I've got a question for you guys this morning. Um, and you can keep your, your finger kind of there in 2 Kings. We're going to be going back to that a few times. Um, but my question for you guys this morning, and you can do a show of hands. It's okay to show hands on this one. Okay. How many of you in this place would like to live a blessed life? Raise your hand. You want to live a blessed life. I think we all probably could come together and say, hmm, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I want to live a blessed life. Um, so before we go on with that, because that is kind of what I could have titled this uh, message. I thought about titling Obstacles to Blessing, um, but I know I want to live a blessed life, and I believe each of you want to live a blessed life. Um, but before we go on with that, I kind of want to unpack uh, what it means to live a blessed life, because I think there's a lot of us um, maybe not in this room, maybe in this room, I know in the world for sure, that have a, a weird idea about what a blessed life really is. See, there's this, this teaching that's kind of out there that says, you know, whenever you, you come to know the Lord, all of a sudden, everything's going to be great. All of a sudden, you're going to be wealthy, you know, you're going to have success, you're going to be popular, you know, you're not going to have any sickness, you're just going to be at the top of everything, you know, that's, that's a blessed life. Um, really, they look at it like, hey, come to know the Lord, and you get this genie in a bottle, right? And you can rub the lamp, and the genie comes out, and you get three wishes. That's almost the way that people look at it, and, you know, they're like, oh, I, I want to be wealthy, Lord. Make me wealthy, you know. I want to look like this. You know, I want my spouse to... No, we probably shouldn't go there. Okay, so it's not about getting three wishes. It's about uh, something totally different in living a blessed life. Because I don't, I don't believe that that teaching is true because I think it leaves us in a place where we're going, wait, 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 wait. I've, I've served the Lord for quite a while. And have you seen my bank account? Because it's not exactly, you know, up there on the top 100 in the United States. So we want to unpack what living a blessed life is. So there's this guy 
whose teachings really started to get popular. I mean, he was really um, trending with the, with the people around him in his area, got, starting to get a lot of people following him, a lot of people watching his sermons, you know. So he, one day he, uh, he kind of climbed up on this hillside, he was outside, and he said, okay, guys, I'm going to kind of break down what a blessed life means. And it, pretty much this is what he said, you're blessed when you're poor, you're blessed when you mourn, you're blessed when you're meek, you're blessed when you hunger and thirst after righteousness. You're blessed when you're merciful. You're blessed when you're pure in heart. You're blessed when you're a peace, peacemaker. Um, you're blessed when people have persecuted you, persecuted you for righteousness' sake. Um, you're blessed when men reproach you. So you guys probably start to, like, well, this sounds familiar. Well, this guy was Jesus, right? He started his ministry and he started getting all these people and this is what he goes up and teaches. These are the Beatitudes. It's Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about how to live a blessed life. What a blessed life look like. And so as we go down this list of, you know, poor, you know, whenever people beat you up because of righteousness sake, you know, we're like, whoa, hold on a second. That doesn't sound like a blessed life. But it truly is. So in, in Matthew 5, it describes... The happy state of those who find their purpose and fulfillment in God. In the Psalms, um, it talks about the best life available is for those who love and fear God and are order and order their lives according to His word. In Romans chapter four, it talks about uh, how it ties happiness and blessing to those whose sins are forgiven, for they know the relationship to God has been restored. So, a blessed life. What is a blessed life? This is, I, I try to sum it up in one sentence. So this is, this is what I've come to. I've come to the idea that a blessed life is a life that fully depends on God and desires to be right in the middle of His will for your life. If you want to live a blessed life, if you want to be blessed by the Lord, then, then a life that fully depends on God and a life that is right in the middle of His will of His will. And that's where we're going to find happiness. It's where we're going to find joy. And it's where we're going to find fullness of life. Does anybody want happiness? Does anybody want joy? Does anybody want a fullness of life? Well, it can't be in, in what the world thinks and what the world says. We're going to have to find our happiness and joy and fullness of life in what the Word says. So today we're going to look at four obstacles uh, that I believe stand in our way of living this blessed life um, because I want to live it. I don't know about you guys. I want to live a life that's blessed by the Lord. And, and I believe the Lord wants you to live a life that is blessed. I believe He wants only blessings on your life. So we're going to look at four obstacles um, today that, that are obstacles to living this blessed life. So the first obstacle that we're going to come to, um, and again, we're thinking obstacle course here. So first obstacle is the obstacle of the misguided. The obstacle of the misguided. Has anybody in here ever got directions from somebody and they were just bad? Right? Whether it's driving directions, how to do something directions. I mean, but you just, you like, okay, I'll follow these directions and they ended up being totally, totally wrong, right? It's horrible, right? Like the other day, I know Jalen and I were on a trip. 
ran into some, some traffic on the highway, uh, or on the interstate, I guess. And I'm like, hey, I, I know a back way, okay? I know a way we can get to where we're going. It's going to be a lot faster. And so we hit the next exit, and then I'm like, well, we better, better pull it up on Google just in case, you know, just in case. So anybody else do that besides me? I mean, Google Maps, everybody, right? That's how we get, how we get places today. So um, we pull up on the Google Maps, and we're going down, and we come to an intersection. I see this road to the right, and, and I'm like, that's the road we need to take. But what's Google telling me? Go straight. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the road that we need to take. So, but I listen to Google because, you know, who am I compared to the all-knowing Google, right? So we go straight, and it takes us down this road, then we turn right, and we start going through, like, these little single-road streets, you know, like housing developments, and we're winding through here, and I'm going... This is insane. What, where, where is this thing taking us? Has anybody been there? Has anybody followed Google Maps and you're going, this is stupid. These are bad directions. This is supposed to be the, the smartest thing in the world, pretty much. And it's taking me down these dumb roads. So we wind through this dumb road and all of a sudden we hit the road and I see the sign number. And guess what? It was the one I'd said, oh, this is the one we're supposed to take. And it took us 10 minutes longer, probably, to wind through these roads. But because Google was giving me bad directions, um, it, it ended up taking a lot longer. So um, we're going to go back here to this first part of the story. We're going to start in verse 4 and reread this and talk about it a little bit. It says, So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet the king, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying a gift of 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. So we're talking about the obstacle of the unguided, right? Or the misguided, I'm sorry. The obstacle of the misguided. So I believe one of the first mistakes that we make whenever we are pursuing the blessings of the Lord, is the mistake of the misguided. We get wrong information to live our lives by. We, we try to follow things that the world says, this is going to produce blessings in your life. Um, I loved at the beginning of our spiritual growth campaign, Rick Warren, um, I think it was session one, um, talked about all these self-help help books, you know, that you can get. And, and they say, you know, if you want to be wealthy, you know, you've got to, you know, apply yourself, work hard, blah, 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 do this. He said, you can get a thousand of them and they'll all say the exact same thing that, that, you know, you've got to do it. It's all about you work hard. You'll prosper. Um, but how many know that the Bible and these self-help books are totally, totally different? That we can't rely on what the world says we have to do in order to be blessed. We can't put our, our trust in what um, the world says we should do to be blessed. But we have to rely on what the Word says. For instance, it, the Word says, if you want to have money, if you want to have you know, possessions, what should you do? You've got to give them away. 
What's the world going to think about that? If you, you know, yeah, I've got 127 in my uh, IRA right now, and I think I'm going to give that away to somebody. The world would say, you're crazy, right? And I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying that's what the Word of God says. It says if you want to, to, to receive, what do you have to do first? You have to give first. So um, the world says if you want to be great, what do you do? When you climb that corporate ladder, any, anything goes. You know, If you have to backstab, claw, bite, whatever you have to do, make sure to push yourself to the top. Whatever it takes, at all costs, go to the top. That's a blessed life. Is that what the Bible says? No, of course not. The Bible says if you want to be great, what do you have to be? A servant. That's right. You have to be a servant. So as we see this this separation between what the world is saying, this is a blessed life, what the Lord is saying, this is a blessed life. So our first mistake that we make in life is that we go on our trip misguided. We take the wrong directions. We're going after the wrong things. So we see this in this, this story of Naaman. You know, he's, he's a leper, and, and Naaman uh, wanted to be healed. And so where does he find himself? He finds himself in Israel with the king of Israel. Uh, the king of that time was Jehoram, and he was the son, actually the second son, of Ahab and Jezebel. So great parents, right? Okay, so he's the second son. His, his brother succeeded, and then he ended up succeeding his brother. And so um, Elisha and, and this king had had, had a kind of a, a messed up relationship, I guess. Um, not on Elisha's fault by any means, but Jehoram would, would seek the counsel of Elisha, the prophet. They would do some great things. They would win some battles. And then he would do something stupid and be like, okay, I don't need you, Elisha. Things are going good. And then bring some idols in or something dumb like that. And they would fall apart again, and, and, and the nation of Israel would find itself in peril. So they've had this kind of uh, weird relationship. As, as we see in the beginning of this, it talked about the raiders um, from Syria is where it is. And in coming and stealing people, um, they would raid communities. They'd been in battle together. So they weren't, they weren't necessarily friends. They were their enemies, but maybe not quite in a time of war right now because um, if you're warring with a king, you probably wouldn't send a letter of recommendation with, uh, with your commander of all your armies, right? So they're in a time of maybe a little peace, just unrest, but peace, I don't know. So he comes to the king of Israel and, and wants the king of Israel to... Heal Naaman. So there was Naaman's first mistake. He, he went to the wrong, the wrong place. Because the place he needed to go was to go see the man of God. The place he needed to go was to go see Elisha. He's the one that the Lord was using. He was the one that could free him from this leprosy. But he ends up at the, at the king's palace. So in our lives, again, I feel like we find ourselves going after the wrong things um, and, and it, it puts us in places that we don't, don't want to be. So going on here um, in verse 7, it says, When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with, the, or heal someone with leprosy? 
I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. So this king, he, he knew there, there was nothing he was going to do for Naaman. So he just figured, hey, they're about to come raid us again. They're about to make war with us again. And so he begins to freak out, tear his clothes, you know, go into a state of distress. But this is verse 8. It says, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent a messenger to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So this is kind of my, my 2020 version of what just happened. So Elisha was at his house. He's chilling out. Nothing going on, you know, just relaxing him and Gehazi. So they're just relaxing. And all of a sudden, you know, the phone rings, and it's the informant from the castle. And from, from the king's, you know, courts, this guy. And, and everybody knows no matter where you go, there's an informant, right? I mean, has anybody had more than one kid? There's an informant, right? Anytime anything goes down, that one's going, Mom, Dad, guess what happened? Guess what they did? And, I, you know, as a kid, you might not have liked it. As parents, it's pretty nice, right? You're like, oh, thanks for the info. Okay, good to know. Okay, so this informant calls Elisha, and, and he's like, Elisha, it's bad. It's real bad. You know, here's Naaman's here, the commander of the armies of Syria, and, and he told the king he wanted him to heal him of leprosy, and the king doesn't know what to do. And, and you want, the king's just, he's in a mess, you know? Look, here, I'll send you a picture. And he sends a picture, and there's the king tearing his clothes, and Elisha's like, oh, gosh, nobody wants to see that, you know? So the, they're in a up, utmost just panic in Israel because they're afraid of what Syria is going to do. And Elisha says, hey, chill out. You know, it's okay. Send him here. Tell him to come, come see Elisha, and he's going to see what a real man of God can do. I mean, that's confidence. I, there's a difference between confidence and pride, because I know Elisha didn't have pride in himself. He knew what the, that the Lord was going to take care of this situation. So Elisha tells him, hey, come on, bring him here. He's going to figure out that there's a God in Israel. So I believe so many of us in our lives stumble on this um, on this obstacle of misguidance. We put our faith in the wrong things in our lives. We put our faith in things that only are going to bring us trouble. We put our faith in things that only are going to bring us pain. Um, trust me, I've, I've put my faith in, in things that just bring you heartache. I mean, I've been putting my faith in the Dallas Cowboys for the last 24 years to win a Super Bowl. And did anybody see the game Thursday? You know, we're not going. I'm just telling you, we're not going this year. But that's okay. But we put our faith in so many different things that are not what the Lord wants us to put our faith in. So this is what I know. If you want to have joy in your life, you better know the joy giver. Amen. If you want to have a purpose in life, you better know the creator of life. If you want to have a blessed life, then you better know the blesser. So that's our first obstacle, is to get our eyes fixed on the end, to get our eyes fixed on the one that can make it better, and his name's Jesus. So that brings us to our second obstacle. First one's misguided. The second one here is the obstacle of pride. And this is 2 Kings starting 5, starting in verse 9. It says, So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, 
and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But when Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. So Naaman rolls up on, on Elisha's house. He's got all of his, I mean, he wasn't by himself here. You got to think, he's carrying, he's carrying 150 pounds of gold, 750 pounds of, of silver, all their food from the travel. He's, and it says that, that the horses, plural, and chariots came there. So he had a bunch of people with him. This guy was, was super, super import, important in Syria. Uh, he took the trouble to make this trip, you know, all the way. Then he gets redirected. He gets all the way to Elisha's house. Um, what happens? He's expecting Elisha to come out. He's expecting Elisha to, you know, give an audience with him. And Elisha sends a servant out with just a message, you know, hey, go on, go jump in the Jordan River seven times. You'll be done. And he gets upset. He gets mad. Surely Elisha will come see me. You know, surely Elisha will come out and see Naaman. So his obstacle here was the obstacle of pride. Um, Naaman was a, a really important guy. He's commander of all the armies of Syria. Uh, his position and success had made him a very honorable man. Um, they, that the Bible says that he was a man of valor, a mighty man of valor. And so that, that title, Mighty Man of Valor, is used six times in the Bible. It's only used six times. And some of the guys that, that had that title given to them um, were guys like Gideon. I mean, pretty awesome, right? Guys like David. Guys like Jeroboam. You know, these are men that you could hallmark in the Old Testament and say, these guys knew how to battle. These guys knew how to fight. He was a mighty man of valor. And, and, and Naaman is the only person in the Old Testament that that title is given to that was a Gentile. The rest were all Israelites. So, so obviously this guy had something about him that was pretty great, that, that he was pretty honorable. He was a mighty man of valor. So I think um, Naaman gets there and, and finds himself at the house and this messenger comes out, says, hey, Elisha's, you know, he's busy. I don't know what he's doing in there, but he's busy. Uh, so just go do this. You're taking care of. And he gets offended. He's, he's like, do you know who I am? I mean, real, I, I'll give you a pass here at the beginning. Do you, do you really know who I am? You know, and the guy's like, oh, I don't, you're a Syrian commander. I don't know. And he's like, no, 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 no. You see, uh, I don't want to say this, but people know me. People know who I am. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a big deal. You know, he starts trying to, to, to show him how important he is. He said, I, I am the commander of the Syrian army. You know, I have a letter from the king. Look, name's right there. It's the king's letter. Send it with me. So get Elisha out here. And servant, you know, probably wisely. No. No, just do what he said, you know. And he's like, wait, 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 it's just a second. Do you bring, bring the gold, bring the silver. You know, I can see him trying to make a case for himself to show how important he was and say, no, Elisha needs to come out here 
because I'm Naaman, because I am Naaman, and, and you should fear me. I'm an important guy. But none of that works. And so he finally turns around and he stalks away mad. He's just tired of it. Man, this Elisha guy, the nerve of him not coming out here to see me. Um, but this is what I see in this story. So many times in our lives, guys, we do the same thing. We, we stumble over this obstacle uh, that we call pride. And I know what you're thinking. You know, I don't have pride. I, I'm not prideful. That's exactly what a prideful pe- person would think. You know, not me. If, you know. So I, I think we all, from time to time, run into situations where we struggle with pride. I mean, some of us that, that have been in the faith for a while, you know, and we're doing pretty good spiritually, at least we feel like we are. And we see somebody come into the church and their lives aren't exactly put together how we think their lives should be put together. And we kind of stand back in judgment and go, yep, I could have told them that was going to happen. You know, that's their own fault. And we forget that at one time we were that baby Christian too. We forget that one time, you know, we had stuff that was messed up. We had stuff that we struggled with. And, and instead of looking at them and going, yeah, I'm glad I'm not like that. We should be down there going, hey, I once was like that, but the Lord has helped me. So we, we all struggle with pride. Um, I mean, how many of you have run into a situation at work, in the world, around you, where you know that your faith was being challenged? You know that what was happening, what was taking place was something that you needed to take a stand on and say, you know what? This is not what the Lord says. This is not what God would want us doing. This is not something that the Lord would want me to be a part of, and yet we don't. Why? Afraid of what people would think. What is that? That's a form of pride. It's just a form of pride. And, and, and this one I thought of, and, and I'm as guilty as anybody with this one, okay? And this, this really, I feel like, defines how we can be prideful. So many times, I believe, you come into church on Sunday morning, I, and like I said, I'm right there with you. I've been in church my whole life. Can't tell you how many times I've done this. Come to church, a word is spoken. The Lord, you know, brings something through the pastor, and it's a great message. And there's an opportunity at the end of the service that you can respond to this message where you can say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I need help. Yeah, I'm struggling. And the pastor asks, you know, hey, come up to the front. And what do we do? Nope, not good one. You know, we, we sit in our pews and we keep our hands down, whatever it might be, because we, we come to a place where we're like, man, what if somebody's looking? Do they... I can't do that. Do you know who I, I'm a deacon in this church? I can't lift my hand and say that I have things that I struggle with. You know, I've been at this church for 17 years. If they knew I struggled with that, you know, what is that? We come to a place in our lives where we're in the exact same place that Naaman was here. And we allow pride, the obstacle of pride, to hinder us from the blessing that God is wanting to bestow on you. So this is where I have pride kind of broke down to. Anytime you, let pe- anytime you let what people might think of you stop you from doing what God has called you to do, it's the obstacle of pride. Anytime. 
whether it's at church, whether it's in the world, whatever. It's the obstacle of pride. Luke 14, 11 says this. It says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4.10 says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. This is my favorite one. It's Proverbs 22.4. It says, Humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. It's coming to a place in our lives where we say, Lord, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want or what I look like or, or, or what my life is going to be or, or what people will remember me for. Lord, it's about you. I only want to serve you and what you want and what you have for my life. And whenever we come to that place, I believe it is when we can step over, climb over, crawl over, whatever we got to do to get over this obstacle of pride. So Naaman was at this place where he was allowing his pride to stand in the way of his blessing. So that moves us to, to our third obstacle. And this is the obstacle of assumption. So moving on in that, in that passage, it says, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expect him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. This is the obstacle of assumption. Naaman comes in, he's like, I expect him to get out here, do one of these, and I'm good to go. That's what he's going to do. Okay, but it's not what God had planned for Naaman's life. See, I think so many times we struggle and we fall over this this obstacle to blessings called assumption. And we expect God to answer our prayers in the way that we want our prayers met. We pray to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, I need I need money. Lord, I need lots of money, you know. Maybe we pray to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, I need a wife or I need a husband or, you know, this is what they should look like. This is what they should talk like. You know, we put these these ideas in our minds and we can go down the list of of different prayers we pray in our lives um, that that we feel like uh, God should answer our prayers in the way that we want them answered. Not according to his will, but the way that Clinton wants it. So, I mean, we, we could sit there and be like, Lord, please help my wife. You know, she needs more understanding, God. Lord, she needs more patience. You know, Lord, she doesn't understand that I had to work 50 hours this week. You know, I'm providing for this family. Lord, she doesn't understand that that, you know, 36 holes of golf, that was me ministering to men. You know, I... I needed that time to minister to those men and that fishing trip. God, I have to have alone time. You know, I have to have it. You know, oh, the hike. Yeah, the hike was, uh, the hike, the hike was for you, Lord, or something. You know, we come to these places and we try to justify and we say, Lord, change this person's mind when in ourselves we should be going, whoo, hold on a second. Maybe it's me that needs to change. Maybe it's my lifestyle that needs to change. Instead of teaching her patience, Lord, teach me to be a good husband. See, and I'm just using that as, as, 
an example because so many times in our lives, we pray certain prayers and we want God to answer our prayers how we want our prayers answered. Yeah, it'll be great, Lord. Just teach her patience, you know, make her a better wife. Whenever it's all along, it's me that God's wanting to change. So um, Naaman's in this place where he says, look, come out, do your little hand wave, make me better. I'm back to Syria. I'll be back to kick your butts here in a little while. Something like that. But that's not what God intended for Naaman, and that wasn't the way that he was going to do it. Um, So in verse 12, he says, Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and far par better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So again, this goes with that obstacle of assumption. I heard, heard this um, in the last couple weeks, and it really was good for me. Um, and they were t- talking about how we, we so often, when it comes to God doing things in our lives, um, rely way too much on the past. We rely way too much on the way that God has done it in the past. And we think, okay, Lord, you did it that way back then, do it again. And so we put all of our, our, our mind and focus, everything like, Lord, you're going to do it just like this. Lord, you got to do it just like this. Lord, you're going to do it. And you did it like this, so do it like this. Uh, but maybe we should remember the things that God has done for us. Amen. I mean, I'm not saying forget that. The Lord has blessed me time and time again. The Lord has come through for me time and time again. Um, And we should remember those things. But what we should forget is the way he did it. Because God doesn't always do the same thing the same way. God always comes through. God will always be faithful. He is always on your side. He's always going to be there when you need him. But it might not be in the same way that he was there six months ago. It might not be in the same way he was there six years ago. He's, He's able to do new things believe it or not. He doesn't have to repeat himself. He doesn't have to to do it um, the same way he's always done it. God wants to bless us, but so many times we find ourselves in a place where we're saying, Lord, you know, you you grew this church through Sunday school 20 years ago. It's only only way we're going to do it is Sunday school. That's the only way we could do this. When God said, hold on a second, we might have something new that we want to do. And again, these are just examples, but so many times we get so focused on how God used to do it or had done it in the past that we miss the way he's wanting to bless us now. I know in my life personally, I've grown to realize that so often, especially um, in the area of finance, that the blessings of God have so much less to do with the amount of money your employer gives you and so much more to do with God just being good. I mean, I, I can remember time and time again praying to the Lord and say, Lord, I need to make more money. Lord, I got to make more money. Lord, I need more money. Money, Lord, from my employer. Give me a raise. 30% would be great, Lord. And, and so often I did not see the Lord bless me through finances, through my employer. And we're going, Lord, where are you? I expected you to come and give me a 30% raise, and I got nothing. I got nothing. And we stalk away mad. We said, Pfft. Fine, Lord. See if you're getting your offering this Sunday. You know, that's the place that we come to whenever God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. I want to bless you, but it might not be in the way I blessed you in the past. 
And it might not be the way that you're praying, but I promise you this, there is no one that he will ever leave or forsake that is one of his children. And so many times in my life, I know he's come through in unbelievable, unpredictable ways because he's good and he loves his kids. So this is Ephesians 3.20. It says, Now all the glory to God who is able through his mighty power and work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Infinitely more than we can ask or think. That's a, that's a passage I believe a lot of us know and a lot of us have prayed, a lot of us have believed in. But what I find funny in it is how is God supposed to do infinitely more than we could ask or think whenever we, we want Him to do it exactly how we want it done. It's hard for Him to do more than we can ask or think when we want it our way. Because having it our ways means that we thought about it. Having it our ways means we've preconceived the idea of what God's going to do in our lives. So I believe to get past this obstacle of assumption, we have to come to a place in our lives where we say, Lord, I don't care how you do it. I don't care who you do it through. Lord, I just want to live a blessed life. Lord, I just want your blessing. Do it any way that you want to do it. I'm yours. I'm here. Infinitely more. Lord, then I could ask or think, that's what I want. So God's blessing can be, um, or assumption can be a, a barrier or an obstacle to God's blessing. So that's, that's three of them. Coming to the last one here. And that's the obstacle of unbelief. So we see through this, this story, Naaman, you know, through all these things, you know, of, of, you know, misguided, he has pride, you know, he is, believes he wants it done his way. And whenever he doesn't get his way, when things aren't going right, he finally comes to a place and says, so Naaman turned and went away in rage. He was mad, tired of it not dealing with this anymore, not doing this anymore. And he turns away in rage. And so many times I think in our lives, whenever we feel like God hasn't come through for us in a way that we think he should come through, we get to a place where we're mad. And we're like, Lord, that's it. I'm done. I'll go to the bank and get a loan. It's no big deal. I've got good credit. You know, I'll, I'll go to counseling and, and try to figure out why I'm still stuck in the same rut that, that I've been in forever. And we never give God the opportunity to bless us. We never give God a chance to come and do in our lives what he has designed to do in our lives. So um, I believe Naaman was in this place. He just said, you know what? I give up. I've traveled all this way. I give up. I'll just go back to Syria. I'll do, do what I do until I die. It's no big deal. But then one of his officers, one of his people under him comes to him and says, hold up just a second. Hold up. Why are you so mad? Why are you so upset? This is what it says in 13. Verse 13 says, But his officer 
tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says, Simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River, dipped himself seven times, as the man of God had instructed him, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. So what's the answer? What's the answer to all of these obstacles that Naaman had had run into? How is he going to get to a place where he's healed? It's simple. It's one word. It's obedience. That's it. It's obedience. We'll find God's blessing whenever we come to a place of obedience. You know, it starts simple. Come to know the Lord. What's the simple obediences? You know, it's things we've learned since we were, we were in little kids' church or, you know, first three weeks of becoming a Christian. You know, pray, read your Bibles. You know, fellowship with, with brothers and sisters in the Lord and talk about the goodness of God. It's the simple things that so often we find our play, ourselves just like Naaman and we're going, God, why is my life so messed up? Why am I in this situation? And he's going, hey, read it. <laughs> it's simple. It's obedience. And so we have to come to a place where we say, God, I'm going to walk in obedience. Um, and in that, obedience is, is learned. In that, when we start with the simple things and say, okay, Lord, I'll obey you in this, God begins to work in our lives and, and we become better and better and better at obedience. How many know that obedience is a learned quality? We don't just get born and, and uh, you know, really good at obedience. If, if, if you don't believe that, does anybody in here or has anybody in here ever had a two-year-old? I've got one, Okay. And, and, and if you have a two-year-old, you realize that obedience is learned. It's not natural. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Abel was out in the yard, and I love my kid to death, but I'm telling you sometimes, I'm like, Lord, help me. You know, I'm, my biggest fear, I believe, has come truth. He's half Corey, half Jared. I don't know. Uh, but Abel was down in the yard, and and... It was dinner time. I mean, boy likes to eat. He loves, loves to dinner time. So I opened the door and I hollered, hollered at him down in the yard and I said, Abel, come inside. It's time to eat, you know? And he kept playing. I opened the door again. Abel, time to eat, son. And right on playing. So third time, you know, I'm getting a little, little testy. You know, getting a little upset. And I said, Abel Graham, you know, you break out the middle name, standard parent protocol. Abel Graham, come inside or I'm going to come down there and I'm going to spank you for disobeying. And that's when he starts to throw a fit. So, you know, dad's level goes up to here. And so I go down there and he's on the ground and he's crying and throwing a fit. And I, you know, did the parent thing. By that time, I wasn't mad. I said, son... I told you to come inside and eat. It's time for dinner. You know, 
And so we're talking. I said, Abel, he's, Dad, I just want blah, blah, all this stuff. You know, I said, Abel, what did I tell you to do? And he looks up at me in his classic phrase for this situation, something. You told me something. And, and so many times, I think that's where we're at with the Lord. We find ourselves in a place where we never wanted to be. We find ourselves in a spot where we're in trouble or our life's not going right. And it's just, we're going, God, uh, don't want to fit down there on the ground. And the Lord comes to us and says, son, what did I tell you to do? And we look and we're like, something, you know, we find ourselves in that place that this two-year-old is. Whenever the Lord's saying, listen, if you'll just obey me, the blessing's inside. You know, your dinner's inside. Just go in there, eat it. You'll enjoy it. It's so much better to obey. So obedience, obedience is learned. If you don't, if you don't believe me, even Jesus had to learn obedience. And I know some of you might be going, oh, wait, 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 wait. This is Jesus? Like son of God, Jesus? Yeah, Jesus had to learn obedience. This is what it says in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. It says, during the day of Jesus' life on earth, He'd offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once he made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Even Jesus had to learn obedience. He learned obedience through his death on the cross. He said, Lord... Is there any way, is there any way I don't have to walk through this? Is there any way I don't have to do this? But it's not what I want, Lord. Lord, it's what, what you want from me. Jared, if you'll come help me close this this morning. So Jesus himself, through trials, through hardship, he had to learn obedience. So why do we think that we're any better? Why do we think that we're any different? Guys, obedience is something that will, will bring us through all of these obstacles. Naaman could have avoided this whole mishap if whenever the servant came out and said, hey, go, go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and he took off running and was like, cannonball, Lord, you know, come on, let's get this done. But, but he, he allowed these obstacles in his life to delay almost take away his blessing, what the Lord was wanting to do for him. And I just want this morning, each of us to come to a place where we say, Lord, I want to obey you. Lord, I want to live a blessed life. I believe um, we have to come to a place where we're no longer running to God saying, Lord, you know, this is what I want. Can you give me this? You know, I want this, but coming to the Lord and say, Lord, All I want is to be in the center of your will. Lord, your will be done in my life. Your will be done in in everything I do, from my work to my family to a church to just life, Lord. I want to obey you from the smallest to the biggest things. I think we got to get past the place where it's just a lip service. It's real easy to come to church on Sunday morning and look good. It's real easy to come to church and, and look like we're the most obedient child. You know, classic saying, it, somebody comes to you and you're like, man, your kids obey so well. And you go, well, you should see them at home, you know. But in, in, in truth, sometimes that's how we are. When we're in a group of people, we look like, oh, man, I obey so well. But do we at home? 
Do we when we're by ourselves? Do we when nobody's watching? It's coming to a place of simple obedience. Um, so I think there's some of us in here that are on different levels of obedience. Some of us might be in a place where God can't get us to do anything at all. We're just totally shut down. I think that's the unguided. We're putting our trust in the world. We're putting our trust in different things. So we have to come to a place first to say, Lord, I want you, nothing else. There's some of us um, that you might eventually, eventually come about doing uh, what the Lord has asked you to do. You know, it just takes a while. The Lord has to like keep doing it. You know, do it, do it, do it. Remind us, remind us, remind us. And eventually we're like, okay, Lord, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it. Maybe there's some of us in here that, that we're in that step, but we know, you know, we finally just give in because we know we're going to be miserable until we give in and obey what the Lord has told us to do. You know, that's, that's a step. That's a stepping stone. You kind of go from I don't obey to I'll obey after a million times you asking me to the, when you start figuring out, you know what, the Lord's not going to change his mind. If he's asking me to do this, I probably should just obey. But where I believe that the Lord wants us to be in our lives is complete, immediate obedience. That we just say, Lord, you say it, I'll do it. You know, you tell me go, I go. You tell me talk, I talk. Whatever it is, Lord, I want to obey you. So we got to stop putting our trust in what the world says, brings us happiness and blessing, and start, start trusting in God. He's the one that wants to pour out his grace lavishly on you. He's a good father that desires to bless his children. If we can just get over ourselves long enough to see the big picture. That is that it's not about us. It's never been about us. It's all about him. He has graciously designed us to be a part of this wonderful story and desires us to humble ourselves to a place of complete obedience, knowing he is God, that he will always come through for us. Might not be in how we think it should be, but his ways are better than mine. His ways are higher than mine. We can know that even in the deepest and darkest places in our lives, we can fully put our trust in him because our God never fails. He will always come through. We can stand in faith that his perfect timing and his blessings will come through and that our miracles will take place. Father, Lord, we come to you this morning, God. More than so many times, Lord, I can put myself in these obstacles, Father, or I've let stupid things stand between me and the life that you're calling me to live, Lord. Father, this morning I pray that you would just enlighten us, Lord, into the ways that we are stumbling, Lord. Show us those obstacles that we have put up in our lives that are keeping us from being at a place that you want us to be, Father. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and begin to work in our lives, Father. Lord, I pray that Trinity Church would be a church of, of people, full of people, Lord God, that want to obey you, Lord, completely, Lord, immediately. Lord, because I know whenever we come to that place, Father, that you have a grand plan 
that you have a grand purpose, Lord, for us in this church. If you're here this morning and you say, Clinton, I heard what you said and I feel like maybe I'm in that that last or that first uh, group of people. You know, I'm going after the wrong things. I've put my trust in the world and what it says, you know. But I see if I want to live a blessed life, if I truly want to live in the middle of God's will for my life, that I don't need to take the directions of the world, but I need to align my life with what the Word of God says and what Jesus wants for me. If that's you this morning, and you say, look, this morning, I just want to give my life to the Lord. I want to start this journey and, and begin to pursue the life that God has for me. With every head bowed and every eye, eye closed, if that's you this morning, you say, Clinton, I just need Jesus in my life. Would you raise your hand? I would just like to pray with you this morning. It's not that my prayer is, is, is going to do anything f- for you to get saved, but it's simply this. You just got to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I've messed up what I believe in you. I believe that you died for me and you rose again, and I want to live for you for the rest of my life. Maybe there's another group of us that says, you know, it's my pride. It's me giving preconceived ideas of how I want God to, to run my life. Or maybe it's just, I've stopped believing that God will do what he said he's going to do. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? And I'd like to pray with you as well. Father, I just lift up, Lord, all these people this morning. Lord, I just pray that each and every one of us, Father, would come to a place in our lives that we obey you, Father. Lord, I know that you have great things planned for each person that's in this place, Father. Lord, you are a good Father. You love your children and you want the best for each and every one of us, Father. So, Lord, I pray that you would just um, begin to deal with us in these, these areas in our lives. Lord, deal with me, Lord, that you would break down my pride, Lord God. You would break down my unbelief, Father. And, Lord, that I would fully commit to obeying you in every step of my life. Lord, because it's there that we find your blessing, Father. So, Lord, I pray that your blessings would be poured out upon each person here, Lord. Lord, that, that you would just make us a church that's radiant, Father, that shines for you, Lord God, in the dark places, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we go from this place, Father. Lord, I pray that you would just... Um, just Give us boldness, Lord. Step out into this community, God, and be the people you've called us to be, Lord. Lord, I thank you and praise you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you for everybody that's here. Lord, bless them as they go this week. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming this morning. I pray that your weeks will be blessed.